it's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Guestman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm your host, Josh Guessman, coming to you from COG Studios on Monday, October 21st, following the LA Galaxy's 2-1 win over Minnesota United in the first round of the MLS playoffs. That means that the LA Galaxy will now come back home and then travel all the way up to Bank of California Stadium, where they'll take on LAFC on Thursday night. So uh, what possibly could be the biggest game in Major League Soccer history a very close upon us as we get you ready for that game and talk about the Minnesota game. So that's really where our main focus is tonight. We're going to have a lot to talk to you about in, in terms of, you know, Galaxy News and some quotes and a whole bunch of things that, of course, are all leading towards this game on Thursday night, 7.30 p.m. kickoff time. All right, uh, to help me do that, the man who just arrived back from Minnesota, he wasn't on the charter. He didn't get that nice charter flight. He had to fly commercial. It included a stop. It was not his most favorite trip, I'm sure. But welcome back to the show and back into Los Angeles, Mr. Kevin Baxter. Kev, how's it going, buddy? Yeah, forget the Galaxy Charter. You didn't even let me use the Corner of the Galaxy corporate jet. Yeah, so, no. yes, I had a connection in Salt Lake. I may be going back to Salt Lake next week if the Galaxy win and Salt Lake beats Seattle. But, I mean, the connecting flight, I think I came back on the Wright Brothers plane. It was <laughs> it was rough. <laughs> hey, a little bouncy weather out there. It was raining in Minnesota, which, by the way, it held off uh, from raining. Uh, oh, it I think... was bad, too. It was it was the kind of rain where, you know, if you're standing too close to the street corner, when the bus comes by, you get completely sprayed. It was like, and this is Minnesota. I mean, it rains there, so they're used to it. But the it, it, there was so much rain in such a short period of time, there were huge puddles in the street. Uh, we, we, we knew you were there uh, covering it. The rain held off, at least for the Galaxy game, and I, I guess the field sort of held up somewhat, although th I think there were still some complaints. But before we even get into the game, I want to talk real quickly, just from an observation, sort of, you know, a, a baseline standard here. This weekend was some of the most exciting soccer I have ever seen in Major League Soccer, ever. In my in, the, in as far as long as I've been watching it since you know really 2008 2009 2007 in there since I've been watching Major League Soccer this weekend was the most exciting that I have ever seen games and I think I don't think it's a fluke Kevin I think we have to tip our hat a little bit to how it played out in terms of of the actual format the single elimination format that people have been sort of harping on or liking or not liking or you know talking about this whole thing. This, this weekend was outstanding for me. Well, I talked to Mark Abbott, who is the CEO of, of Major League Soccer, uh, about a week ago, maybe 10 days ago, about the playoff format. Now, first of all, this would have been the knockout round, you know, the first uh, stage. So this would have been single elimination anyways. But he talked about the playoff format. I'd always been, been under the impression that the two-leg format actually favored the stronger team because if there was a fluke goal, you made a mistake in the first game, you got a second game to make up for it. Uh, Major League Soccer actually has some statistics to prove that that is not accurate, that that it's close, but actually the best team wins more often in a single elimination format. But what Mark Abbott told me is, yes, they've come back, they've con contracted the playoff schedule to fit it in between the two international breaks. That's why they did it. He said, but they also studied uh, a bunch of various formats for more than a year. And he said, even if we hadn't had to compact the schedule, we decided that single elimination format was the best. And the reason he, he, he determined that or the league determined that is exactly what you, Josh Kessman, were just talking about. He said in a two-leg two format, sometimes the first game 
is very slow. Nobody really gets aggressive. No one plays off the front foot because they're waiting for that second game. And he said, sometimes the second game doesn't mean anything if the first game was a blowout because that second game is meaningless at that point. So he said, by, by telling teams, look, 90 minutes or maybe 120, that's going to decide it. There's no second chances. This is it. You know, it's all for all the marbles. He said he thought that that would be a more exciting format. That's what Major League Soccer decided to do. And they were right, weren't they? Yeah, they, no, they got it right. It was it was 100%. Um, you go and look at the scores. I mean, you know, there's one game that there, there were a couple games that are decided by one goal. Actually, a bunch of games that were decided by one goal. But five, only, five of them. Yeah, only one game did, did one team fail to score. That was in Atlanta and New England. And unfortunately, Bruce Arena goes out. Atlanta United survived that game really more than I think anything. Uh, a one nothing win over New England Revolution uh, in Atlanta. I think that uh, it was one of the few games that didn't have rain, mostly because they were under under cover indoors. there yeah they were they, they were indoors that usually helps uh you had seattle and fc dallas who had a crazy game uh, a 4-3 ending there there was lots of rain in that um you know as much as you sort of sit there and say oh well maybe seattle struggled with dallas a little more dallas played well and came back and just so many things that you saw in there i mean even even the Toronto game, Kevin, this game shows up 5-1 on the scoreboard, but it was 1-1 with DC United scoring, I think, in stoppage time of the first... 94th minute, yeah. yeah. That's the only game not decided by one goal. It's decided by three goals, but it went to extra time. It went to... It was 5-1. It was decided by four goals, right? 5-1 in that game. 5-1, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's that's crazy for, because Toronto scored four goals in, in extra time, which is crazy. Uh, Real Salt Lake, 2-1 over Portland. That game was ugly. Lots of rain. Lots of coming down sideways, all sorts of crazy stuff there. Um, and, you know, RSL looked like the better team in that one, and they ended up winning 2-1, so that was fine. I think the craziest, most entertaining game I watched all weekend was Philadelphia and New York Red Bulls. New York Red Bulls were winning this game 2-0 and 3-1, and Philadelphia tied it 3-3 three, three, uh, at the end of extra time and then uh, or at the end of regular time that goes into extra time and gets a deflected ball that creeps it just a crazy crazy goal and the the union fans were just nuts in the rain um, just so much fun and then you got it finished off with a game that sort of had a slow burn on it Kevin um, it wasn't I, it wasn't the most exciting game absolutely not uh, it wasn't great soccer through the first 45 minutes in fact I don't think it was great soccer through 90 minutes um, but the LA Galaxy getting by Minnesota United two to one uh, goals from Jonathan dos Santos goals from Sebastian Legette. Uh, you know Zlatan Ibrahimovic doesn't score in this game which is if you thought about the playoffs and everybody including myself was leading up Kev you said Zlatan's it's the playoffs Zlatan's gonna show up and it's gonna be huge but that's not what you saw in fact I, I don't know. I don't keep track of bad games like where where people play really bad games. You go, oh, that was their worst game. It's kind of hard for my brain to remember those things. But I don't know that if I remember Zlatan being less effective on on the pitch for for the LA Galaxy. Do you know he had 47% passing efficiency in the first half? Missed more than half his passes. And but but you know, two and afterward he said he was exhausted. He, he said it was the toughest game the Galaxy had played this year. It was the toughest game he had this year. Afterwards he admitted he was exhausted. But you know, you so ineffective right i mean right. It, it, i thought it was you, you didn't you said you didn't want to criticize players for having a bad game i thought it was his worst game of the year and i don't think there's really a close second and, and i think zlatan probably would go along with that too but here's the the point he figured in the goal that that got everything started sebastian legit's goal came uh, off a rebound of a zlatan shot and it was a terrible shot it was a soft shot went right into a defender but the rebound bounced out to sebastian legit and he scored 
No, Zlatan does not get an, an assist for that, and he didn't mean for th- th- that sequence of events to take place. But I think it just proves how important he is. He makes things happen. You, you could say it was an accident, but Zlatan's shot led to the first goal. That opened things up. Uh, Minnesota had to open up a little bit. Then they got the uh, Galaxy got the second goal, the uh, Dos Santos goal, which proved to be the game winner. So even when he's playing his worst game of the year, Zlatan seems to make things happen. Uh, Galaxy were one seven and one coming into this game in 2019 in games that Ibrahimovic played and did not score. All right, so one seven and one in games in which he played but did not score, uh, and then he they, he goes in and does not score. Do you know what the other win was that he didn't score in? Kevin, do you remember? I do not. Cincinnati, the Cincinnati game. Oh, now, now yeah. here's here's they, they didn't really need his help in that one. Yeah, well, you know, it was two nothing, but you know, I figured that they probably did need his help, but uh, you know, the Galaxy survived that one. But when you go back to the things that sort of draw similarities to me, the only thing I can draw a parallel between a Cincinnati game, which Cincinnati's not a good team, and a Minnesota game, which Minnesota played very well. Um, I'll tell you about the better team losing here in a second, um, but. The Galaxy, um, in, in, or, or Zlatan in Cincinnati, Kevin, was cautious with the surface, right? I mean, that was Cincinnati. It's on turf. We all saw Zlatan. He was not feeling that game. He was pr- kind of managing that game not to get injured in my mind. I almost feel like there was a little bit of that in this Minnesota game as well. He complained, or at least it was in passing, but he still talked about the field not being great. Um, And he remembers the last time he played on it that large pieces of that field were coming up. In my mind, this could have been Zlatan sort of saving himself, which may not make Galaxy fans feel all that great about it, but I feel like he was approaching it more cautiously um, than he has in other games. And this is, I, I don't want to just throw the game plan out, and I think we'll talk about the game plan here in a second, but the game plan also affected how many chances Zlatan had and sort of where it was as well. Yeah, but, he was playing wide for a lot of the game. I don't know if you could see that on TV, and and I do think you're right about the turf. You know, Zlatan talks about how his knee is healed. He had massive reconstruction of knee surgery two years ago. Um, I had uh, knee surgery about 100 years ago, and I can tell you that there are still times when, when I don't want to push on, on it, and, and I'm not playing a a major league soccer playoff game. So, you know, if that's what it, maybe it was subconscious, maybe he was doing it on purpose, but if he was a little worried about pushing off on that very, very soft turf, you saw Daniel Starris, you know, go down on his butt at one point. It's hard to blame a lot of time knowing what he's gone through. And he's 38. Yeah, he, he's not he's not a spring chicken. Uh, I am also 38, and I am not a spring chicken, so I, I feel that. Uh, by the way, this is like the last year, Kevin, where like the the you know the big guys on the on the team for the LA Galaxy are going to be like the same age as me. This is it. The, well, how I, come you haven't scored 500 goals? Yeah, you're the same age. I mean, you've had a, that same opportunity, right? As I've said many times, uh, I have 700 shows. How many does how many does Lots on have? Oh, Not 700. Oh, so snap. Yeah, snap. I know. Snap. Good comeback. Yeah, well, that was my that was my only comeback I had, because um, Zlatan and his accomplishments and what I've done kind of make me feel like maybe I haven't done all that much. But that's okay. We don't need this to be a, a therapy session. Uh, let's get to uh, the better team loss. This is what I heard. Um, this is what yeah, I heard. Taylor Twelman said that. Yeah, Taylor said it. By the way, uh, Taylor and I are good friends uh, and have been for a while. I've actually been texting him for most of the day. I thought he did a, did a fine job. I have no problems with him criticizing the Galaxy. Uh, I think most of this league is criticizing the Galaxy uh, because they think that you know Zlatan Ibrahimovic is the person who has to carry this team. And in this particular game, guess what? Uh, Zlatan couldn't carry the team. He helped, but he couldn't carry the team. I have a stat, though, that I have to get out. This is one of my favorite stats that I think I've ever put together. Uh, since Christian Pavone joined the LA Galaxy, Kevin... 
uh, the LA Galaxy have now, as a collective, outscored Zlatan Ibrahimovic. So the LA Galaxy collective has 16 goals, and Zlatan Ibrahimovic has 14 goals. All right, so every time people tell you that the LA Galaxy are just Zlatan Ibrahimovic, you can go ahead and point to the 16 goals that have come from other places besides him since Christian Pavone joined and really started to open this up. So that was my my one thing. But anyway, you were talking about the better team well, lost. I was just going to say on that, I just want to say Adrian Heath, the Minnesota coach, um, talking about Pavone, um, sort of chuckled when he talked about the Galaxy adding Pavone. And that just goes to that what you were talking about, the anti-Galaxy bias throughout the league or seeming anti-Galaxy bias. Remember, it was always around with Bruce Arena. You know, are they breaking the rules? Are they skirting the rules? How do they sign all these players? It, it's it's back now, that uh, <laughs> that take on how did they get Christian a player like Christian Pavone, a World Cup player from Argentina, how did they get him when they already had three DPs and they were had very little cap space? So that's the argument you're going to hear next. Oh, oh it's, it's, it's there. It's been there, and that's fine. Um, you know, it's one of those things that's like, you know, blame the Galaxy for the deal that they pulled off. Quite honestly, I think it's a crazy deal that they pulled off for Christian Bilal. But anyway, going to the better team lost. Here's why the better team didn't lose in this game. The better team actually won. Um, the LA Galaxy were the better team than Minnesota. And there's one simple reason. Minnesota may have had slightly more possession. Minnesota may have had slightly better chances. Remember, Zlatan had a really good chance that he missed. Um, so, you know, there's a couple chances in there that you could say, okay, the Galaxy, you know, screwed up. But if you look at Minnesota and them screwing up the chances, this is why they're not the better team. The better team actually puts the chances away. And in this game, yes, Minnesota was the quote-unquote better team because they had more possession and they were creating more dangerous looks. And the Galaxy defense survived with some emergency defending and survived with misses from Minnesota. All those things are true. But the better team won this game because the Galaxy capitalized on the mistakes that Minnesota made and they capitalized on the chances that they had. If you look, shots on goal, the LA Galaxy actually have more shots on goal than Minnesota despite the fact that Minnesota slightly outshoots the Galaxy by yeah, three goals. 16 shots, but only three on target. Only three on target. 13 shots for the Galaxy, six on target. Um, you look at all of these, and again, 11 shots off target for Minnesota. The better team doesn't put 11 targets or 11 shots off target in this game. So I, I respect Adrian Heath. I really like him. But to say, and, and he wasn't the one, by the way, who said that, you know, the better team lost tonight. Uh, he said we were the better team for large stretches, which I would agree with that. Um, but ultimately, it, it came down to the Galaxy's talent, and the Galaxy's talent won this game for them. And that didn't mean Zlatan. On Ibrahimovic. That meant Jonathan Dos Santos, and that meant Sebastian Legette, and that meant uh, Roman Alessandrini, who you certainly have to talk about as well. But all of these things. Of Perry Kitchen. Perry Kitchen. By the way, you you talk about. I don't. I didn't think anybody had great games in this. I thought Jonathan Dos Santos and Perry Kitchen had the best games out of anybody who played tonight, or on, on line, Sunday night. I thought the back line was. Solid. I mean, I know they gave up a lot of shots, but the back line was solid. You know where you know where most of Minnesota's shots went. What, I've never it? seen this. I mean, you said they missed on thirteen shots, and they did. But I've never seen that many go like high up into the stands behind the net. I mean, I've seen that some go in there sometimes or miss the net wide. But it looked like these guys were trying out to be field goal kickers for the Vikings. I mean, a lot of those <laughs> shots were like 50 rows back. It yeah. was incredible. Yeah, no, there were a lot of them. Um, another sort of high look at this game, and before we start like really diving into the details, um, the Galaxy were the only lower seeds, uh, uh, lower seed slash road team to advance Lo to the lower conference. Sleeve? Yeah, lower sleeve? Yeah, the lower sleeve. I have no idea. I don't know. It's, <laughs> my tongue's tired, apparently. Uh, Galaxy were the only lower seed slash road team to advance to the conference semifinals. That was it. Every other one 
higher seed one, which is why we'll tell you that the Galaxy have no chance of hosting any Western Conference game at all, um, all the way through the Western Conference Finals, and have the slimmest of chances right now to host an MLS Cup, which would be if Toronto FC advances all the way through to the Eastern Conference, from the Eastern Conference and plays in the MLS Cup, and the Galaxy advance all the way through to get to the MLS Cup on their side. That's the only way the Galaxy can play a home game throughout the rest of this postseason, and that's it. Um, but the lower seed winning here um, was, you know, I think this game was the closest game out of all the games that were going to be played. And certainly the four versus five already lends it to that. But uh, the Galaxy, you know, had the best chance of winning. And, and I think that in as a road team, they had the best chance of winning. I think that, you know, taking it wasn't that much of a surprise. I think people uh, somewhat wanted to expect this, but you can't expect anything from a Galaxy team that's so inconsistent. That's that. That's my take. Well, you know, like you said, they did what they had to do to win, and that's sort of the mark of a veteran team. I, I thought, I don't know how what it looked like on TV, but um, you know, because you, you get a much wider view when you're at the game. I, I thought Minnesota, this was the, the the franchise's first time in the playoffs. I thought they showed a lot of sort of opening night jitters. They yeah. just did not look settled, especially in the first half. And I, I do think the field played a little bit in that. For people who don't who don't know that this field is, uh, it's a brand new stadium. They had drainage problems. Um, the field was terrible when the Galaxy played there the first time. Zlatan uh, took a slide and pulled up a huge divot, and, and after that, he just basically did not run anymore. And Julian Araujo got actually hurt during the game. So after the regular season ended, uh, Minnesota United tore up the turf, repaired the drainage system, put new grass in that they got from a Wisconsin sod farm, put everything, tramped it all down, and then played a college football game on Saturday night, yeah. about 24 hours before the soccer match. And the college football players were complaining about it. The thing with laying down new grass is that's awesome, but the grass needs to take root, and that takes more than three weeks. And if you go play a college football game on it, it's not going to take root. So, you know, Daniel Sturris went down at one point. Uh, you could see just before halftime there were huge holes in the middle of the field around the center circle. Um, the field was not as bad as it was when the Galaxy played there in April in the scoreless draw, but it definitely was not good. And, you know, I do think it used to be back in baseball, if a team had a lot of guys who hit ground balls or bunted a lot, they would the grounds crew would leave the grass in the infield very high. And if you were a team that didn't do that, then if you had a good infield, then the grass would be low because you wanted to get the ball to your infielders quicker. In other words, the field was tailored to your team. I think Minnesota United, they won't say this, but I think Minnesota United definitely tailored the field to its team. This is a great defensive team that doesn't score a lot of goals. What do you want for a team like that? You want a difficult surface that's very plodding, slow the opponent down, and, and slug it out in a low-scoring game. The field kind of lends itself to that. I, I'm not saying that Minnesota United went into the to the season with the idea of doing that, but I think once they realized they had field problems, they decided they would use it to their advantage. Uh, it, it, it played better than I thought it was going to overall, and I think even uh, Adrian Heath afterwards said you know, that he thought the groundskeepers did an amazing job getting it to the point to where it was, but well, let's be honest, it was it was not a great surface. Um, let's, let's go into uh, the LA Galaxy and the lineup that was put out, because this was sort of the first shot at... Uh, Guillermo Barrascoloto in the playoffs. How was he going to adjust? What was he going to do? Would he tweak the defense? Would he do anything? And with guys coming back healthy, you know, how much do you do you put into the or how much stock do you put into some of these guys that possibly, um, you know, weren't a hundred percent? I mean, there was a lot of questions around this. So um, the big sort of sh the the two things that stood out on this was Perry Kitchen being placed in the midfield. Uh, Perry Kitchen having not played since August. Um, August 11th, yeah. last appearance. So, so Perry Kitchen gets a start in midfield, um, which is very defensive. We all agree that. That's a defensive move. Uh, 
And then People Gonzalez gets put into place. And Kevin, you talked about a little bit about this, but People Gonzalez at right back. So no Felcher. Um, you didn't have any Shelvick in there. So you don't have the speed the LA Galaxy usually have on the outside in order to get up and whip in crosses. That's not happening in this game. Uh, you have Dave Romney at left back. You had Diego Plenta in the center. You had Dan Stairs back there. David Bingham, obviously, in goal. Jonathan Dos Santos and Perry Kitchen as the two central defense midfielders. Sebastian Ledret playing as the central attacking midfielder, that Cam. Um, and then you had Christian Pavone. And you had Uriel Antuna and Zlatan Ibrahimovic. So, um, you know, if you look at this, this is probably the most defensive lineup the Galaxy could really put in um, for this game and still think that they had a chance at at getting forward enough. Um, well, what, what Guillermo said afterwards is, yes, he wanted to play a standard back line. He said, I didn't want to have wingers. That's why Rolf didn't play. I, um, uh, you know, I didn't want to have wingers. I wanted to have four defenders um, because he was looking for a defensive game too, whether it was just the way Minnesota plays or whether he took the field into account too. But he said, we're going to be totally conservative on the back line. We're not going to push forward, no wingers, no one moving up and down the sidelines. Um, so he, that, that's why he went with that back line. The introduction of Perry Kitchen was pretty interesting. He didn't have Joan Corona. Obviously, he's not going to use Fernando Carrasco for 90 minutes. So Perry Kitchen gets his first appearance this August 11th. He played box-to-box. And Guillermo said the idea was to move Jonathan more forward and get him involved in the attack. What happens? Jonathan DeSanto scores the goal that wins the game. Uh, we had, as you said, Alessandrini coming off the bench. He actually did get the assist on that and almost scored a goal. So he, uh, you know, his comeback, that was his first game since knee surgery in April. So he actually played very well. But Perry Kitchen, you know, he went 90-plus, played the whole game, again, box-to-box, box, sprinting up and down the field all night long. And it, really added some crunch to that uh, uh, midfield as a defensive midfielder. He was very physical. Uh, Minnesota definitely knew that he was on the field. Um, a, a really great effort by him. To yeah. I, I never thought that he'd be able to go 90 minutes just coming uh, back. I mean, the weather probably helped a little bit, and he was fit. But still, it's tough to go 90 minutes your first time out in two months. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And again, it's that defensive shape that the Galaxy uh, adopted here. Um, you know, I said going into this game that the Galaxy needed to play this game a lot like the Real Salt Lake game. Uh, in my mind, winning against Real Salt Lake on the road was exactly equal to what they were trying to accomplish in this first round. And part of that was to be um, conservative defensively. Now, I also said that I thought the Galaxy should come out and go balls to the wall as soon as the whistle blew because I felt Minnesota would sit back and sort of be, you know, a little nervy whenever it started. Well, it turned out the Galaxy were a little nervy to start as well. So, um, you know, everything was very slow. Everything was very plodding. The passing was not good, whether that's field or not, or whether that's nerves, that's on both sides. Um, you know, I'll tell you right now, the offense did not look like it was in sync at all. You talked about Ibra, you talked about Christian Bavone, Uriel Antuna was not really there, uh, you know, trying to get Sebastian Jet into that. Sebastian Lejet scored a goal, but quite honestly, it might have been his his one or two good, you know, best moves he made of the night. Um, and certainly, that goal, Kevin, has to be sort of looked at in in a certain way as a total team success. And and one of the reasons that's such a success is that. Um, the Galaxy throughout this year have struggled with making late runs into the box. We've seen it over and over again where balls have been cut back and there's been nobody there. And in this particular case, the ball is cut back by Antuna. Uh, you know, Zlatan hits it. It hits the defender. It bounces off. But it's a late run from Sebastian Legette that comes in. It's that second run coming into the center of the box to where, you know, he can pick up a rebound or he can get a pass or, you know, it's that layoff that's there at all, all the time. So 
seeing Sebastian Legit score that, it has to be, um, you know, a super boost to the LA Galaxy mentality. Um, and then you go from that into bringing Roman Alessandrini onto this field. And, and this is a huge moment. I mean, I think I've said a bunch of times that I felt like Galaxy fans were sort of, you know, pinning their hopes on Roman Alessandrini too much um, and that they couldn't count on him to just deliver after being off for, for so long, Kevin. Um, and I still feel like the Galaxy are, are looking at him like, you know, Kirk Gibson and the Dodgers, like, oh, he's going to come up and hit a home run and all this. Stuff. And, and you don't need that. You need a guy who's going to go out there and give you some base hits, maybe a double, uh, you know, bat in some runs and scoring position, that type of thing to carry my baseball analogy to its uh, finish there. Um, and, and that's what you got from Roman Alessandrini in this. Guillermo talked about it afterwards, um, and he talked about how, you know, people thought maybe they would second-guess. Even uh, Taylor Twelman on the on the broadcast said maybe they would second-guess the sub bringing Roman Alessandrini, an offensive sub, on right after the Galaxy had scored. And for Guillermo, it was all about, Kevin, he said, was, um, you know, it was about controlling the ball. And we felt like, yeah, Uriel Antuna is faster, and he can be more dangerous offensively, but we want to control the ball now and to for you know, for the Galaxy, it was about putting Roman Alessandrini on that field. And what did you get out of Roman? You got some, you got some possession. You got some, uh, you got an assist to Jonathan Del Santos. Although it's not the clearest assist in the world, it's still an assist. You got a shot on goal from Roman Alessandrini. I thought he might even score a goal, uh, which really would have made me look like a yeah, moron. Yeah, he thought he was going to too as well. He was talking about that a lot after the game. Yeah, you got to talk to him. So I mean, and I think you're the only person who talked to Roman Alessandrini because we don't have it on our quote sheet. Uh, no, yeah, I was the only one that talked to him. He said that he was exhausted. He he said the first minute he came on, and by the way, um, when you talk about the, the substitutions and Taylor Twelman talking about do you want to bring on an offensive substitution, Ramon Alessandrini was standing next to the fourth official when when Sebastian Legette scored. If there had been a stoppage in play before that goal, he would have come on. He was ready to come on, and I think when the goal was scored, I, I think Guillermo just – he had a strategy, and he wasn't going to change at that point, so he let Ramon go back in the game or go into the game. So um, – Ramon was coming on and the goal happened and they brought him on anyways. But yeah, afterwards he talked about the goal he didn't score. He also had an interesting quote, which I actually asked him to repeat it. I wanted to make sure I got it right because I know this is going to be billboard material. But I said, how you know, now you play LAFC. And he said, I think those guys are afraid of us. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, I think those guys are afraid of us because they've never beaten us. I think LAFC is afraid of the Galaxy. And then he said, we're going we're gonna to go out and show them you know, who owns L.A., and it's like, wow, really? You yeah. know, it's like, uh-oh, this guy hasn't played a game in six months, comes on, uh, gives an assist for the game-winning goal, and then starts talking trash. So he is definitely into game mode already. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, also, uh, Jonathan Dos Santos, actually, I, I don't know if he meant it as talking trash, but he, he came across as it, at least as it was translated. Uh, you know, he said on, uh, they asked him about on facing LAFC next after this game, and he goes, uh, it will be a great match. I think the whole world was waiting for this game. I, By the way, I like the fact that he says, I think the whole world was waiting for this game. I don't know if that just feeds into my best, the biggest MLS game in the history of MLS coming up or or what but it feels like he's, he's it was a, not on the front page in bangladesh well you just wait till the it's still early wait till that wednesday okay. preview i'm sure in bangladesh they'll get all over it um, by the way that um I, I need to tell you this um, the minnesota star tribune uh the vikings played a game yesterday they played against the uh, bears or the lions in detroit so it was a a um you know black and blue division game big game for the vikings uh the minnesota star tribune did a playoff wrap meaning that the, they had their sports section but it was wrapped by a special edition of the playoff game uh with pictures and uh you know several stories about uh, minnesota united's first playoff game so that was pretty interesting and i hope people in la are paying attention to that because 
we should do the same thing here. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. And let's get to the, the quote. He goes, I think the whole world was waiting for this game. I do not think they have the desire. In the last mes- matches, they could not win. Anything can happen in the playoffs. Everything is 50-50. We are playing at their field against the best MLS team, in my opinion, and everyone else in the world's opinion. So again, uh, global, first of all, from Jonathan Dos Santos. He's speaking to the world whenever he speaks. And uh, he says that LAFC does not have the desire, which is, is, is uh, again, fighting words. Kevin, fighting words right now after they're tired I, I don't you know, know. Who, who didn't talk trash Guillermo did a little <laughs> Guillermo didn't talk trash but he was dismissive he was very funny um John Rojas who was there uh used to work in LA asked Guillermo he was working for MLS.com and he asked Guillermo you know LAFC best you know single season record ever Carlos Vela 34 goals they won the Sporter Shield and Guillermo just said, yes, those are the statistics. And then he moved on. It's like, those are just numbers. <laughs> and the guy who would not take the bait, because every, let's face it, after every game, who do you go to for a quote? You go to Zlatan. Zlatan and right. so that, that just seemed like a softball to him. Like, hey, you're going to play LAFC. Zlatan would not go there. He was like, it should be a good game. This is the game we wanted. Um, you know, th- it's going to be a good game. They have a very good team. Uh, he would not. He would not take the bait. Yeah, yeah, and I'll tell you this. It, it reminds me of the whenever they were talk, whenever the reporters were talking to him before the last LAFC game, right? And he came out and he was very short, he was very quick, and he was very measured. And so I just think this is his way of of sort of coming out and being like, oh, okay, uh, this is this is a big game now. We know it is. And he doesn't talk smack before the big. He talks smack about every other game. But the really big ones, Kevin, he seems to lay off a little bit, and he's like, okay, it's coming. And it's just, I think it's the focus part of it. I think that's, well, that's how he goes. We, you and I talked about this earlier. We saw that Thursday before the team left for Minnesota uh, when there was a media scrum with Zlatan, and, and Larry Morgan and I uh, tried to get him into a good mood and made a couple jokes and tried to – he never looked up, uh, never looked down at us. He, looked, he stared straight ahead. His answers were all one and two words. They were very terse. Not uh, disagreeable, not angry, but he didn't engage in any kind of conversation or hijinks or like he usually does. This was Thursday before the Minnesota game. I've only seen him do that one other time this year to that degree, and that was before the LAFC game at LAFC. So uh, when he decides to put his game face on, it's kind of terrifying. It really is because it's not what you expect. <laughs> it's know. unsettling. It is. It's a little more like, oh, okay. This is this is it's real now. This is this is this is actually going on. Um, anyway, so the LA Galaxy. Um, you know, you, you look at this game, and again, we, we talked about you know the the changes made, and I think for the most part, Guillermo got it right. I mean, really. They put four center backs on that back line. Dave Romney, uh, Diego Polenta, Dan Steres, and then, uh, of course, People Gonzalez on the right. P- Gonzalez looked lost on the right-hand side, and I agree with the broadcast, and I agree just watching it, and everybody else saw that as well. But he also made some emergency defending look pretty good. He liked to tuck inside, which was probably okay. Uh, he didn't get burned too many times around that edge, so... I mean, overall, the Minnesota was really attacking the the left hand side uh, against uh, Disco Dave Romney. That's his new nickname, by the way. I didn't know if you know. We gave uh, Eric and I gave him that nickname while we were watching the game on Sunday. Disco Dave Romney because uh, he likes to dance with the defenders, right? And he's like, "Bring it on, let's dance," right? That's that's how he goes. So, uh, Disco Dave Romney over there was really where they were attacking and trying to put the crosses in and doing all that. So. Um, you know, for me, this this game in sort of a wrap up is is looking at it and saying the Galaxy didn't play their best, but they played according to a game plan that is something 
that they needed to do. It was a conservative approach. They approached it well. And in the second half, that's when things changed. That's when Guillermo flipped the switch. And I don't know if it was a rope-a-dope, sort of like, hey, we're not going to attack. And, and if you look at the, the possession in this, it only favors Minnesota by 3%. Um, so really, it's an even game when you look at possession. But it was one of those things where it was like, okay, now we're going to change. And in the second half, you saw the Galaxy press a little bit higher with Jonathan Dos Santos. You saw the restraint put on guys like Diego Polenta uh, lifted a little bit. Sure, it was defend first. And I think that was the mind everybody was going through is defend first, defend first. And that's why I think you see you know, Zlatan Ibrahimovic calling it one of their most difficult games is they had to be a defense first team and then rely on the talent they had to, to open that game up. Um, so it was about pressing higher up. It was about turning the ball over in the midfield. It's about, you know, Jonathan Dos Santos pressuring guys into mistakes. And and Adrian Heath acknowledged that. He goes, I know what happens after they get that goal. Now, all of a sudden, you're doing all the things that you're trying to do too much. And you can't concentrate on the same things that were getting you the success to begin with. And so it was that panic from Minnesota United that allowed the second goal. And Jonathan Dos Santos, please, I, I think Galaxy fans are begging, shoot that ball every time. Uh, Jonathan Dos Santos is a dangerous player. He's a dangerous player for Mexico. He's a dangerous player for the LA Galaxy. His defense is outstanding. He should have won Defender of the Year, and he didn't. By the way, uh, that was that was a travesty. I'll tell you right now. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I really believe there was some ballot box stuffing going on there. I don't know who counts the votes. I know that when I turned my ballot in, I got a response from the Galaxy PR staff asking me a question about my vote. Not not questioning it, but just did you know that you can vote for you know a central uh, defensive midfielder as Defender of the Year or whatever. Um, Diego, I have not spoken to one person, not one person in the media that voted for Diego Polenta as Defender of the Year. And I'm wondering if he has some sort of contractual thing that I'll sign with the Galaxy, but when the team awards are announced, I have to be Defender of the Year. I, I, I don't think it's that shady. I can tell you that if you wanted to know what happened, you did come to the right place because somebody oh, okay, good. somebody here is obsessed enough to dig around and ask some questions. And while nothing's on the record, I can tell you that I have a theory and that theory seems to hold up when I talk to people. And that theory is that Diego Polenta won a lot of second place votes. All right. And so it went uh, first place gets three points, second place gets two points, and third place gets one point, And you voted for three players. OK, Diego Polenta got a lot of second place votes. You know who got a lot of first place votes and displaced each other? David Bingham, Jonathan Dos Santos and Dan Steris. Those three. So if you add those three together, they probably stole votes from each other. And so being I know I had Diego Polenta as second. Um, actually, I think I had him as third. But even that is he's in the voting. He was on everyone's ballot. That's probably why he won. Um, it's because he was on everyone's ballot and the other ones are hit and miss. I know a lot of people didn't vote for Jonathan Dos Santos for Defender of the Year, which was the clear-cut answer. And anybody who didn't vote that way got it wrong. Um if you voted for Dan Starrs, that's great because that probably would have been your second best answer and that would have been good too. Um, but I'm telling you that that wasn't consistent across everyone's well, ballots as I've been talking. I, I was getting a lot of advertisements from Russian bots to vote for Polenta. And I, I think the Electoral <laughs> yeah. College has got to go in this uh, fan voting. So anyway, but yes. Um, so Diego, so it was Zlatan Ibrahimovic Player of the Year because I guess I didn't talk about this on Thursday because it came out on Friday. Um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic Player of the Year. Diego Polenta Defender of the Year. Uh, you had Matt... 
Lampson as the humanitarian of the year, and Zlatan Ibrahimovic won the Golden Boot because he scored thirty goals. There you go. You know what? The humanitarian of the year is the best is the best award. That's the one that I would want to win. That, that I mean, quite honestly, whenever you look at the what everybody's accomplished, it's Matt Lampson who's making the biggest difference in this world. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and, and he never even gets to play. He doesn't get to play. And I still think that Matt Lampson has a great chance of being MLS humanitarian of the year. So we'll see. Uh, if anybody was going to have a chance of winning a major postseason award for Major League Soccer, it's Matt Lampson on the LA Galaxy. It's not Zlatan Ibrahimovic who is going to finish second in voting to Carlos Vela for the MVP. I'm telling you that right now so you can start your outrage. I don't have any inside information. I'm just, I'm that smart. I know what's coming down down the pipe here. Um, so, uh, you know, all that stuff is having being said, but I thought, you know, Diego Polenta getting forward was an important point, trying to get back to, to the game now after we sidelined off of player of the year and defender of the year. Um, I, you know, I thought def- Diego Polenta had his res- sort of restraints lifted and he was able to get forward a little bit more. Having those four center backs, and they talked about Perry Kitchen playing center back in college and how that was really five center backs. It wasn't. It was a central defensive midfielder. Uh, if you want to talk about it, though, Jonathan, D- Jonathan Dos Santos is the team's best central defensive midfielder. So you had... You know, four players, you had six players whose primary job really was defense, even though Jonathan Dos Santos did get forward more than he probably normally does. Um, and so then you had the remainder up there, you know, with Ibrahimovic and Leggett and Pavone and Antuna who were trying to run the offense, and that's why the offense looked anemic. Um, it's not the same offense that we've seen from the LA Galaxy. It wasn't about getting up the wings and beating people. It wasn't about outside backs getting forward. It was about staying home and protecting the net, and they did that for most of the time. They gave up the one goal because, of course, the Galaxy do, uh, just to make things interesting. Interesting, but ended up holding off for the for that win. So you could say whatever you want about this game. You could say the Galaxy didn't play well, but if you're really sort of looking at how Guillermo set it up, they played according to the game plan, and I think that's an important distinction to make, um, especially going into a, a game against LAFC, a game in which they cannot play this same way um, and expect to get any sort of results out of out of that game. But what about this? Okay, they won the game. That was what yes. they went out to do. They yes. didn't. There, there was no style points. The idea is to score more goals than the other team and and walk off with the win. It wasn't pretty. They were arguably outplayed. They were adapted, positively outplayed for a large stretch of the game. Maybe arguably outplayed for ninety minutes. But they won the game and they played in a different style. And I guess my question to you is. What's better? You take a team and they play in one style, and you could say LAFC is like that. Atlanta United, they have a very distinct style. They play that way every game. They don't change their style based on the opponent. That's the way they play, and they're very successful at it. Or is it is a mark of a good team to do what the Galaxy did, which is totally switch it up, go in and play another game? And you can make the argument that, yeah, that you're bowing to the opponents. You're, 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 you're dropping down to play their game, and you're letting them get away with that. You're letting them dictate the style. But my point is the Galaxy have played a number of different ways. If you remember early in the season when Zalatan was hurt, they played a totally different style with Antuna up front, um, and they really didn't have a target striker. And then in this game, they played a defensive uh, first format, uh, and then they played other styles during the middle of the year. It seems to me that it's much more difficult to play a team when you don't know for sure what exactly uh, what look they're going to give you. Well, I, I think in this particular situation, it is, I mean, people want to criticize Guillermo for not being, you know, not adjusting tactics and not doing something. I don't think you can say that in this game because you know that Minnesota wasn't comfortable getting the ball. Um, you know, they talked about it during the entire broadcast, and it's one of those teams that they'd rather be a counterattack team. And so the Galaxy almost said, well, here's the ball. Come, come get us. 
right? And you saw that Minnesota didn't have sort of the finishing in with a Galaxy back four that was back there with the central defensive midfielder like Perry Kitchen cutting off any of the lanes as well because he had a couple great takeaways. Uh, you know, with Jonathan Dos Santos there, that they forced Minnesota to have the ball and then to try to create something, and that's not what Minnesota does. Um, you know, having said that, you also take away one of the Galaxy's probably best options, which is, you know, going offensive, but they were able to turn it on when they needed to. So, yeah, I mean, I'm with you, Kevin. I think that you have to adjust. I think that almost giving the ball to Minnesota isn't so much adapting to to what or 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 allowing Minnesota to dictate anything, but it's it's playing to Minnesota's weakness, which was giving Minnesota the ball and asking them to come forward and attack. And the Galaxy, I guess you can say, relied on the talent that they had and knew that they were going to score a goal. That's not a horrible plan. Um, and I don't know that it's a bad idea. I mean, I think that they can't play that way against LAFC. But I don't know that's a horrible idea not to do something similar, except that LAFC has shown time and time again that they're able to break down people who bunker. So trying to bunker or park the bus or do any of that stuff seems like that's not right. And that's not how the Galaxy have had success against them um, in the, you know, in the past. Now, uh, before we get to that game, I want to get to a couple more things. I want to clean up this game real quick. One of the things is that the Galaxy did charter back to L.A. I'm sure you saw a lot of the social media posts. The guys on a nice charter flight. Uh, they arrived a little after 1 a.m. on Monday morning back in Los Angeles on Monday, the day we're recording right now. Uh, they had a regen day, so it was a pretty light sort of, you know, come in, stretch, that type of thing. Um, but I, I'll tell you right now, they're not going to get much training in this week. Uh, Guillermo said it, and everybody sort of understands it. It's, it's another sort of recovery day um, on Tuesday. Really light training on Wednesday. The game's on Thursday. That's it. Um, so this is going to you know happen pretty quickly as far as all well, that Well, would you rather be the Galaxy who took two weeks off, played a game, um, and, and come back with short rest? Or would you rather be LAFC who have now gone 17 days? This is the longest they've gone, I think, in franchise history between games, 17 days. Um, as Tyler Miller told me a couple of uh, weeks ago when this break started, he said, not only do we have the 17-day break that we have to work through, he said, but we're going to play a team that has just played a game five days earlier. Um, for better or for worse, they may be a little tired, but they're a little bit more into their rhythm. Uh, Tyler Miller said, watch the first 15 minutes of this game Thursday because if the team that has played a game, and he didn't know who it was going to be at the time, but it's the Galaxy – if the Galaxy come out in the first 15 minutes, that's when LAFC cannot be on their heels because they haven't played a game. They can't. The point is, they can't build into the game. They can't warm up while they're playing. They need to to come out, uh, you know, fast from the start. And that's difficult to do when you haven't played in two and a half weeks. Yeah, you asked me who I'd rather be if I was. I would rather be LAFC playing at home and only having to win three games to get to an MLS Cup. That's what I would. That's, three that's, games. Forget three games. It's one. It's 90, 90 minutes now, or maybe one hundred and twenty. Yeah. They can't look past this game. This is the Galaxy. The Galaxy struggled. I, I do believe the Galaxy struggled uh, without looking past Minnesota United because I heard too many players talk about we really want to play LAFC, but we have to get past Minnesota United first. That told me that they were maybe looking past that game a little bit. Um, that's not going to happen. I mean, neither team is going to overlook the other in this uh, kind of a, a crosstown rivalry, but uh, did LAFC definitely is not thinking about winning three games. They're thinking about winning one right now. I, I want to get to uh, to this, and I saw this on Reddit from uh, Hugh. Uh, Hugh from Reddit, which who is called into the show and who uh, is a wealth of knowledge on LA Galaxy stuff. He does a lot of the stats stuff that I do, um, and he thinks of things that I haven't thought of, which is great. Uh, so I give full credit to Hugh for this. I'm absolutely stealing this. Uh, he, he wrote in the, uh, in the Reddit post, he said, in the 24 years of Major League Soccer, the LA Galaxy has been in the playoffs a total of 19 times, which is a league record. On Thursday, the LA Galaxy will play 
play in its 18th conference semifinal game, which is a league record. A victory will see them advance to their 13th conference final, a league record. Advancing there, we'll see the LA Galaxy play in their 10th MLS Cup final, a league record. Winning would grant the LA Galaxy its 6th MLS Cup, MLS Cup, which of course is a league record. Um, so I just wanted to touch on that real quick. And now I want to get to some stuff that doesn't matter at all before we get to this LAFC game because... By the way, it's not stealing if you give the guy credit. No, I told him that's a stole. That's a steal. I didn't ask for permission. I mean, I gave him credit, but, you know, it's totally a steal. It's okay. I think he'll be okay with it. He'll listen to the podcast. He'll, he'll yell at me or not. But I thought it was thought it was great stuff. All right. Um, now we get to uh, the part of the show, Kevin, that matters about no playoff game. Doesn't matter about MLS Cup. Doesn't matter the playoffs. Doesn't It doesn't... LA Galaxy. It's not about LAFC. It's not about any of that stuff. But I need to get through this stuff so that way we can say that we talked about it. And you we can... have parts of the show. Yeah. The, the part of the show. Yeah. We have parts. It makes it sound like we have set segments or something. Yeah, Usually it's just like parts. This is the A block. <laughs> yeah. Usually it's you and I right before we record saying, so what are we going to talk about? Eh, yeah. Nothing. You know, that type of thing. Um, MLS announced today that Sacramento will be the 29th team in Major League Soccer. And why this matters? Two reasons. Uh, Sacramento's GM is former LA Galaxy defender Todd Dunavant, who was on our show not too long ago. Uh, so congratulations, Todd, there and uh, on seeing uh, that team now uh, headed towards Major League Soccer. I think they start in 2022, if I remember correctly. Um, so that'll put uh, put another team in California. That makes four teams in California, Kevin. So once again, I shout and I yell and I scream and I told Todd this. I think he was all for it. Uh, I said, where's my California Cup? When, when is the California Cup? Well, you're going to have four teams. They play against each other. You can keep points and there could be a trophy and it could be shaped like a bear or something or, or like uh, like the, the state of California or you know something like that. But I feel like a California Cup needs to happen now. Four teams, that's that's enough. That would be great. By the way, you talk about Todd Donovan, and, and he's a you know, Stanford graduate. It was a big big deal with the union and the last labor negotiations. Really knows his stuff. He is a good general manager. Will be a better general manager. But when you mention him being the general manager of Sacramento Republic, a uh, soon-to-be MLS team, the Galaxy have really proven to be a training ground, a proving ground. And this was really true primarily under the, the, the time when Tim Laiwiki was there. They saw people that they thought would have talent down the road, and they groomed them for these jobs. I know Tim Laiwiki told me for a fact that that's why they, one of the reasons they traded for Chris Klein and kept him around and turned him into an executive. Now he's the team president. You have David Beckham played for the Galaxy under Laiwiki. He's now an MLS team owner. Greg Berhalter, another guy the Galaxy traded for. Bruce Arena turned him into a player coach. Then AEG sent him to Sweden, I think it was, um, uh, somewhere in Scandinavia for his first coaching job. Now Greg Berhalter, former Galaxy player coach, is the coach of the U.S. national team. You have Robin Frazier, who played for the Galaxy uh, about 10 years ago, now is the coach at Colorado. Landon Donovan is uh, starting the USL team in San Diego. So th this this Galaxy Alumni Association, you know, forget about what they did in their playing days. They're really making their mark as executives as well. Yeah, it, it seems like you were right. By the way, Sweden, you got he went over to Hammerby, which is also a, Hammerby, a, an Hammer AEG, Co, yeah. yeah, an AEG owned property. So yeah, um, all interesting stuff, and I think that's fun. Uh, you know, there's talks about San Diego possibly being a team in the future. We'll see. That one still has a long way to go. But uh, Sacramento becoming the 29th team in Major League Soccer. Now we also know that there's addition of two teams coming up, which is uh, let's see, can I can I remember them? I don't remember. Is it Nashville? St. Louis is one, and Nashville's coming, and then Miami. Na yeah, I think Nashville and Miami are coming in this year 
Um, and then it's, I think St. Louis is after that. And, and then uh, eventually it'll be uh, Sacramento in there as well. So um, one that, more, they got to get to 30. I vote for Honolulu for <laughs> road trip. <laughs> oh man. Can you imagine an East coast road trip to Honolulu, a 12 hour flight? Uh, that doesn't sound like any fun. I'm just thinking about, you know, we could get the corporate, uh, the corner of the galaxy jet, jet corporate right. jet mm-hmm. and uh, hop over there and watch some games. Uh, MLS announced the 2019 postseason roster mechanism calendar, which sounds like a lot of stuff. Basically, what you need to know is that after MLS Cup on November 10th, the 11th through 13th, the trade window is going to open. That follows a 10-week roster freeze um, that clubs may sign players and trade players and do all sorts of fun stuff. Then at on November 13th at 8 p.m. Eastern, so 5 p.m. Pacific, the trade window closes and the blackout period begins. Uh, then they do all of the bona fide offers as they have to submit in order to see who's going to be on the, on le- who's going to be on the team, who's not going to be on the team. That's all contractual stuff. You have the MLS expansion draft on November nineteenth. Uh, Miami has the first trip pick, I believe, and Nashville is uh, is also in there. So it's Miami and Nashville select up to five players each. We will talk about that as we get closer to that. So don't freak out about that. Lots to talk about. Uh, November twenty first, clubs deadline club deadline to exercise options. November twenty fifth, end of year waivers. Uh, at 3 p.m. on November 25th as well, free agency opens, so that's a you know a busy day. The 26th, you get the re-entry process, stage one, re-entry process, stage two on December 3rd. I mean, the next thing you know, it's the start of a new season, except there's no collective bargaining agreement, so that the chances that the, you know the start of that season is going to yeah, be yeah. I, I did talk to the union, and and uh, when I talked to Mark Abbott, and uh, the the union side, they're gearing up for a strike. They've been getting their players to or work stoppage, whatever you want to call it. They've been getting their players to save their money, and they've put together a pretty nice strike or uh, you know package in case they they do need to strike. But why have all those things been moved up? And and when you started with the first date, you know MLS Cup is on the tenth, the eleventh. The U.S. national team will gather in Orlando to play the second part of the Nations Cup, or Nations League, mm-hmm. excuse me, where they'll play Canada and then Cuba. Why, why did – I mean, this has been on the schedule for a while. Why did MLS just decide to come in and squat all over that? Um, and, yes, I, I do have a personal problem with that because I can only cover 18 <laughs> stories at, at a time, and it's going to be difficult. But also you're going to have players uh, playing for the national team that may be worried about their status. Why, why couldn't the – why did they have to do it all so quickly? Yeah, I don't know. It got moved. Obviously, I think they're trying to let the teams prepare as much as possible, and it always happened immediately after the cup. But, I mean, you're talking about a month earlier than it normally happens because usually – around December 7th and this time MLS Cup is on November 10th um, well, and, and it puts the teams that play in MLS Cup at a huge disadvantage and maybe even the, the conference finalist although there is a, a big gap yeah, in the conference final MLS Cup these guys are dealing with having to play in MLS Cup the general managers the coaches you know if, if Guillermo's preparing a team for MLS Cup I think the last thing he wants is for Chris Klein to, or Dennis DeCloso to wander in and say hey what do you want to do with Servando Carrasco next yeah. year? Yeah, no, I mean, it's always been that way. I think we said it whenever Bruce Arena was winning MLS Cups and then they would have to do this. I always think that they always have this stuff figured out way in advance because this isn't like a last-minute thing and I don't think it's going to be a last-minute thing. So I always feel like the teams don't feel pressured. They already know who they're keeping who they're not keeping by the time MLS Cup is, is being played. So I don't think it's that big of a stretch, but I agree, it does just sort of cram everything together and I don't know why we can't just have a little breathing room uh, in some of those spaces. So uh, very interesting. All right. 
Uh, let's get now down to uh, a little bit of the schedule that's coming up. And whenever we look at the bracket, um, everything that's sort of going on here, again, the LA Galaxy, the only lower seed, Kevin, to advance past the first round of the MLS Cup playoffs. Um, and so that means that uh, they will have a game coming up on Thursday. We've already told you about that one, but what you need to know also is that on October 23rd, a day before uh, the game, you're going to have, you're, or day before the LA Galaxy take on LAFC, you're going to have Real Salt Lake traveling up to Seattle. That game is a 7 p.m. kickoff time on the Pacific time. Um, if you look over on October 23rd, you have New York City FC joining the fray finally from City Field, uh, a baseball stadium outside of their normal baseball stadium at Yankee Stadium. So uh, they're going to be over at City Field hosting Toronto FC. And if you're a Galaxy fan, you're rooting for Toronto. We already explained why. That game kicks off at uh, 4 p.m. Pacific time on uh, Wednesday. Uh, and then you have Thursday games are Atlanta hosting the Philadelphia Union. Uh, that game kicks off at 5 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. And then you have the LA Galaxy uh, headed up to LAFC at Bank of California Stadium at 7.30 p.m. Uh, kickoff time there for, uh, for that game on ESPN nonetheless. So... That is the schedule coming up here, Kevin. Uh, a lot of fun soccer, I think, is going to be played on these two days again. So I, I guess if everybody, like myself, enjoyed the weekend, that you're about to have a very fun midweek as well. So it uh, should be a yeah, lot of fun. Well, and and that's all we got to talk about, right? That's yeah, the wrap. That's it. We're, do we're done. We we're don't done, want yeah. Yeah. Let's preview this game uh, just a little bit looking at it. And obviously, uh, you have uh, we have you who covers both teams, so I think we're in a, a good position to sort of take a good look at this game. Uh, the LA Galaxy at LAFC is a, a Thursday night kickoff, October 24th, 2019, 7.30 p.m. kickoff time, ESPN and ESPN Deportes. Uh, this game played at Bank of California Stadium, by the way, a place the LA Galaxy have never lost. Uh, a place uh, against a team the LA Galaxy have never lost to, uh, but a team the LA Galaxy who have never won at Bank of California Stadium either. And we talked about the break that is coming for LAFC. We talked about how the LA Galaxy have a short turnaround and won't get to train a whole bunch this week uh, leading up to this game on Thursday night. Uh, this is a an interesting matchup, and if, if it hurts your ears to hear, if you're triggered by this, I'm sorry. Uh, the LA Galaxy are facing the best team in Major League Soccer this year. In fact, they were one of the best teams in Major League Soccer history um, in terms of their finish, in terms of uh, you know goal scorer Carlos Vela. 34 goals hits a single-season MLS record. Um, you know, this team has been mostly unstoppable. Only one loss at home the entire year to Minnesota United. Um, so all of these things, you know, all the plaudits were well earned for LAFC this year. And now they go up against a team that, you know, the LA Galaxy wanted LAFC in the playoffs. Uh, I'm sure LAFC would have liked to avoided, avoid the LA Galaxy, but I also feel like this is a great chance to exercise some demons. Um, I was telling you before the show, Kevin, I don't know how many times you can slap a person across the face before they're re ready to fight. And I feel like the Galaxy have been slapping LAFC across the face uh, over and over and over again. And ultimately, I, I think it might be time for LAFC to actually fight back. Uh, this well, this feels like it could be a resurrection game for for LAFC at least in my mind. Well, a lot of things here. I, I didn't vote for uh, MVP this year because there's a lot of other things in the ballot, and I didn't feel comfortable voting for best newcomer and defender of the year and all that. I would have voted for Zlatan over over um, Avella if I had a, if I had used my vote. Um, because you know, when you look at LAFC, they play pretty well when Vela without Vela, and and they have other weapons. I, I think the Galaxy without Zlatan, they're kind of the Houston Dynamo at times. But in addition to Vela, you know, you have Rossi at 16 goals. Vela and Rossi, another uh, in addition to the record for points, tying the record for goals with 85. 
best goal differential in MLS history at, at plus 48. They also had the highest scoring tandem, Vela and Diego Rossi, with 50 goals combined. That's almost as many as the Galaxy scored as an entire team. So, and, and more than most MLS teams scored. They have a lot of weapons. Um, and when I was looking through the history of this game, um, it's been very interesting because you talk about, you know, it, when you keep getting slapped it, at some point, you're, you got to get up. This is almost the first, another advantage for the galaxy, by the way, is you, you talk about the short week. If there's one team, I don't think they need to prepare for that. They don't need to really do a lot of game planning for. I think it's the galaxy. They're or LAFC. They're very aware of what LAFC has. LAFC does not change the way it plays, plays the same way every time they know how they're going to play. So that's kind of to the galaxy's advantage. The galaxy are um, the teams that have played well and beaten uh, LAFC this year, Minnesota. And then when Chicago came in and played them to a scoreless draw, they've actually used two lines of four men as the, uh, you know, on defense. So they've had essentially two back lines. Uh, they've had eight people behind the ball. The galaxy, won't play like that, can't play like that. So that goes out the window. It's going to be a more wide-open game. But in looking at the history, first game, remember LAFC up 3-0. They get they steal a goal on the on the Benny Fellhaber um, mistake. Then Zlatan comes in, has uh, the, the tying goal, the game-winning goal. My point is in that game, it really wasn't coaches. It was the players took over that game. The second game, remember LAFC is up 2-0 after 80, after 80 minutes. There's the poor back pass from uh, from Horta. Galaxy catch life. They wind up scoring two goals in the last seven minutes, a 2-2 draw. Again, another game where the players took over. Then you had the first game this year, Salatan with a hat trick, Vela with two goals. The rest of the players didn't even matter, it seemed like, and the coaches didn't matter. This was two Titans going, you know, mano a mano. And then the last game, the one at LAFC, the second game this year, where Zlatan, uh, you know, got that fast start, scored very early. Pavone, I think, had a goal very early, right? Um, that was a game, again, where the players kind of control. It's almost like the coaching staff doesn't really matter in these games. These are uh, almost like schoolyard games where the players are just going to take over and do what they do. It makes it a lot of fun to watch, but I don't know how strategic it really is. Well, well maybe that works to the Galaxy's advantage. I, I, again, you know, I, I think I got it right with the roulette, my roulette wheel theory whenever it came to all those road te- all those road teams losing ahead of the Galaxy, and I'm like, listen, it can't be black every time. It's eventually going to pop red, and the Galaxy got that pop red against you know Minnesota, and that's what will put them by. But, I mean, I, I think my theory has to work against the Galaxy as well. I, I, I think that, you know, whenever it comes to wide open games, the Galaxy have the advantage. And the reason they have the advantage is because Guillermo is a wide open coach, right? He's not going to tell the players to stop. He's going to tell the players to keep going, keep going, keep going. And when you look at Bob Bradley, Bob, in my opinion, looks like a guy who's more in control, who wants his players to play a certain way, who wants them to adhere to the, to the game plan. And the problem with the Galaxy is they don't care about your game plan. They're just going to go in there and wreck things and do whatever they need to do. And they've had so much success against LAFC doing it. Granted, they've only won, Kevin, twice. Um, there's been three draws in this in this series as well. But again, you know, maybe that all favors the LA Galaxy. I just don't know how many times you can keep going to the well for the Galaxy. I mean, you talk about the, the amazing comebacks of 3-0 to 4-3. Uh, you talk about the Galaxy who can score and then give up goals. Um, you know, I immediately go to formation and who's going to play. I mean, in my mind, Rolf Felcher has to be back back on right back side. Uh, you may even think about bringing in Jorgen Shelvick on the left because the speed in this game is a killer and LAFC is a killer with this speed. 
Um, you're going to have to watch these guys when it, in the way they do it. Um, the Galaxy need to be more offensive. The only way that they've ever won these games is by outscoring LAFC. Uh, one of the draws that happened that, that July 26, 2018 game, that was a 2-2 game. The Galaxy came back and scored two goals there in the it's sort of late um, that I remember, and that meant uh, really... I was sitting next to Larry Morgan, not on Twitter, and Larry and I were talking about that if the game was five minutes longer, the Galaxy probably would have won that game um, because they just had all the momentum and everything was pressing forward. So, I mean, trying to wrap my head around this game and not only what this game means for the LA Galaxy, what this game means for LAFC, I mean, the bragging rights for the LA Galaxy would be through the roof again. Um, if they were able to win this game. Uh, the plus side for an LA Galaxy team that can knock off the supporter shield, that can knock off the, the guys who are, you know, the noisy neighbors across, all that is a plus. But you have to also look at this from the LAFC side. Again, they've been slapped across the face so many times, Kevin. They have to keep hearing over and over and over again that the Galaxy are in their heads, that the Galaxy have never been beaten by LAFC. You have guys who just got done playing a game in Minnesota already talking smack about LAFC as soon as they're done. Ramon Alessandrini, Jonathan Dos Santos. They're ready. They're already jawing in this game and they're ready to go because the Galaxy have nothing but confidence heading into this. When will LAFC finally react? And I feel like this is the game with all the pressures in it and all the things that could be that game for LAFC that they come out and just punch back at the LA Galaxy. Well, um, you, you know, Zlatan was not even alive the last time LAFC beat the Galaxy. So, um, <laughs> um, it, but the supporter shield, you talk about the supporter shield and, and again, the season single points record um, that LAFC set this year, only lost four times all season. Only three teams since 2002 have won the supporter shield and MLS Cup in the same year. So that, again, is working against LAFC. You're right about Bob Bradley. He plays three-dimensional chess. Um, he is uh, he, he is very cerebral, almost perhaps to the point of overthinking this. He talks about playing our style of football. He definitely has a game plan. The Galaxy, as we talked about, they freelance. And who freelances better than Zlatan. You right. know, he has eight goals against LAFC in five games. He gets up for this game. It means a lot to him. Um, and, and again, the, the idea of freelancing. Well, you and I talked before we went on the air, and I guess we'll just go to this now. I like the Galaxy because I, uh, I agree with you. I think if LAFC gets up early in this game, I think they're just going to keep pounding, and it could get really ugly. And it could get ugly because LAFC is really angry over – the way the other results have gone. Remember, this is a, you talk about if a guy gets traded from the Dodgers to the Giants, there's supposed to be a rivalry. They don't care. They're going to go play. They just change uniforms. A guy gets traded from the New York football Giants to uh, the New York Jets. They just put on a different uniform and they play. This is a different kind of rivalry. I know it's only five games old, but only one player has worn the, both jerseys, and that's Bajo Husidic, who was in training camp for one week this winter with the LA, with LAFC. Uh, what you have otherwise, you have Mark Anthony Kay having his season ended in a rough tackle, I think, from Perry Kitchen last year, ended his season and really hurt LAFC down the stretch. You have the El Munir case this year where Zalatan elbowed him, almost got a suspension, and, and El Munir missed more than a month. This is a very physical, a very intense battle. I, I do think that, the um, you know, again, if LAFC gets up, I don't think they're going to take their foot off the gas, They're going and it could get ugly. But I kind of like the Galaxy in this one because, as I've talked about all year, when Zalatan takes over a game, He's unstoppable, we, and, and we saw him do that against LAFC a couple of times, and this is a game he gets up for. He's coming off his worst game um, maybe ever in, in MLS, really his worst, worst game of the year. He's had a couple of clunkers down the stretch here. I don't know if he's tired, uh, if it's age, whatever, but if he's on, 
I think the Galaxy could 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 pull the upset here. It's a big if, but if Zlatan, you know, they can't defend Zlatan. They haven't been able to do it yet. Zlatan could take over the game and the playoffs. Um, if he's not on, if they have to rely on Pavone and, and, and Antuna and maybe try to get some more magic from Jonathan Dos Santos, then I think the advantage really swings to uh, LAFC, who I know that you like going into this game as well. Yeah, I, I, I do. And it just, it, again, it just comes down. I, you know, for me, I don't care who scores first. I think we've seen in all these games, it doesn't matter. Um, but I'll tell you this, that I think if, if LAFC gets on a roll, if they start picking off, if the Galaxy defense starts to panic, which we've seen them panic before, if it starts to panic, then you're not going to be measuring this goal, this game in, you know, a couple goals. You're going to be measured in five and six and sevens. Um, and I just feel like, you know, it's, it's one of those, you, you've seen it in the movies all the time, right? Like this kid, this kid keeps getting picked on. This kid keeps getting picked on. And then finally, whenever he snaps, he goes berserk and, you know, almost kills somebody. So I feel like that is, you know, sort of what it is. I, I'll also say this, that I feel like LAFC plays into this trap all the time as well. You know, they talk about how, yeah, the Galaxy are definitely in our heads and, and all these things, and I don't think that does you any good. I think you have to sit there and deny, to, no, they're not in our heads, and they're not going to be in our heads, and there has to be some sort of fighting spirit out of that. But, you know, I, I think that both teams are going to be... Just talking globally for a second, and we'll, we'll take we'll take the global range from Jonathan Dos Santos talking about the world Biggest is watching this game. Biggest game in the world. Biggest game in the world. Um, but let's just put this within Major League Soccer. This is this is the biggest game in Major League Soccer history, and that comes from uh, a person who has been doing a Galaxy podcast for you know since 2009. I get it. I'm biased on that. I this is my the world that I live in. I live in this Los Angeles bubble, this Southern California bubble, Kevin, where I get to see the games that get played, um, you know, around the league. And I sit there and go, oh, Seattle, Portland, that's fun. I like to watch that game. That's cool. Um, oh, New York, New York Red Bulls in New York City. I'm not watching that game, especially if. New New York City's hosting because it's played on a dang baseball field and it's ugly. Uh, but that's not a, that's not a big game in my mind, mostly because of that stadium issues. If it's played at Red Bulls, then it's more interesting. Okay, now we can now we can pay attention a little more. Um, you know, you talk about all the biggest rivalries in Major League Soccer, and I, I think Galaxy fans like to pretend that this isn't the biggest rivalry they have. It absolutely is. Uh, it's the biggest rivalry LAFC has, and it's the biggest game in Los Angeles being played. And grant, granted, you have what a season opener for the Lakers, uh, who hosts the Clippers, um, and that's a season opening game, but that's a big deal in Los Angeles. We all know that, and we know that the average ticket prices right now are higher for the LA Galaxy versus LAFC than on it the is, secondary market. Yeah, on the secondary market, then they're, they're Super Bowl prices now. They're over five thousand dollars resale. That and that, that's that's crazy, and it's nuts. And Mike McGee so tweeted out today. He was like, "I knew this game was happening. I think on October seventh or something like that." And I'm, I'm I'm there for it. So Mike McGee bought his tickets. I think Kevin, you said, "Why does Mike McGee need to buy tickets?" MLS, but Mike McGee has his tickets. He's he's ready to go. Um, all those things. But I mean, how big is can I, maybe you have a better national feel for this than I do? Because I'm telling you, I can't wrap my head or unwrap my head around the fact that this is the biggest game Major League Soccer has ever ever seen play. Well, the resale, you know, I think tickets were up right around $6,000 uh, on the resale market today. And keep in mind that that's about three times what, more than three times what Laker Clippers tickets were selling for. Bank of California Stadium has 22,000 seats, more than 22,000 seats, about 22,500 now. The Staples Center has 18. So there is less tickets or less volume for the Laker Clipper game in an NBA town. I mean, let's let, you know, LA is a basketball town now, yet the tickets for the bigger stadium are going for higher. And, and people are going to say, well, LAFC fans are really not fans or selling their tickets. These are, are club suites. These are tickets down on the field. These are probably corporate 
uh, tickets for the most part. Somebody trying to make back their season ticket price or, or, or say, oh, it's a Thursday night. I, I'm not going to put this on LAFC fans. I don't think this is people in the 3252 selling their tickets. Um, and we don't know who they're selling them to. These re- resale tickets may be sold to other LAFC fans. So I'm not going to get into that discussion right now. But uh, another thing is the Galaxy uh, – something that swings maybe to the galaxy side a little bit uh, in addition to their uh, hyper confidence going into this game they're healthy it looks like joe corona maybe it's still a little bit banged up Pontius stressed he was there i know Ephraim alvarez is away but if joe corona is available for selection they'll be the healthiest i think that they've been all year mm. lafc i haven't heard about um mark anthony k who uh, came up with a hamstring problem in the uh, CONCACAF Nations League game against the U.S. playing for Canada. He is central to that midfield. If he doesn't play, then then Lee Wynn would probably start in his place. But up front, LAFC is going to have a little bit different look that I don't think the Galaxy have seen. Uh, uh, Diamandi is back from uh, his uh, substance abuse uh, absence. Um, and he will be back. He'll be available to play as the center forward. Brian Rodriguez, who I don't think the Galaxy have seen yet, gives them a totally another dimension. And I, I would guess maybe that Diamandi would start and then maybe Brian Rodriguez would come off the bench. He is kind of their Pavone. He's a guy, he's very creative, very unpredictable, very energetic, very fast. Uh, again, I liken him to Pavone in that you'd never know what he's going to do and what kind of impact he's going to have on the pace and the play of the game. The Galaxy are not used to that. That's maybe the one wild card. They may not have Mark Anthony K, but they will have Brian Rodriguez and Diamandi. Yeah, uh, like you said, Galaxy getting fairly healthy, which I think is a, is a plus for them. Um, I, I don't know whether the short week is going to be a plus or a minus for the Galaxy. I would expect it's a minus if everybody was exhausted, as they said they were. Um, so all that coming in, LAFC with a minus, pack, perhaps not having played. Uh, in my mind, and I don't think I've gotten one of these right yet, um, but in my mind, I, I just it, this this seems like it's a bridge too far for for LAFC. That this is going to be it. They're going to make a stand here. Uh, if the Galaxy can pull it off, you're talking about bragging rights from now until it feels like the end of time uh, for the LA Galaxy. And you talk about the Battle of Los Angeles and everything. I'll tell you what. If you're a neutral in Los Angeles, let's say you live in Los Angeles and you're a neutral and you don't you don't like either team or maybe you're not that into it. If you could get a hold of a ticket and your buddy says, hey, I have an extra ticket for this game, you're going to go to this game. Um, this is, the, I think it's the most hype game. I think it's going to be, you know, one of the most watched games. I know I've seen other fans already talk about how they are going to watch this game. Not LA Galaxy fans, not LAFC fans, talking about Atlanta fans, Seattle fans, Portland fans, you know, uh, even Minnesota fans are like, okay, now I'm going to watch this game. This is this is it. This is this is the time. So I think viewership and everything else that you're going to be looking at for this game, Kevin, is gonna, it can't get any bigger than this. So uh, I don't know what else you can ask for for a playoff matchup except if this was in the Western Conference Finals which the Galaxy blew a chance at whenever they lost to uh, Houston and lost to Vancouver at the end of the season so for me uh, this it, it doesn't get any bigger. I don't know how to uh, how to sort of quantify what this is, and eventually this game will you know probably be played at the Inglewood Stadium sometime down the road, where uh, sixty five thousand people will be in the stadium, and it'll be you know divided down the middle between LA Galaxy fans and LAFC fans. That's just my hope. I know lots of people disagree with that. That's fine. I don't really care. Um, but I mean that's where I feel this is building to. This could be. Kevin, if we talk five, six, seven years down the road, this could be one of the biggest rivalries in the world. Um, and it certainly feels like it is at least the biggest rivalry in the Western United States uh, that I can find in my mind. So you're going to put it up there with Liverpool, Everton, City United? Eventually, it could. It could get there. 
It could get, I, I mean, again, it comes down to, you know, why it's Boca and River, right? It's not necessarily that you, you or I watch any of the games in Argentina, but if Boca and River are playing and you happen to catch it on TV, what are you, you're going to stop and you're okay, going to watch let, that game. Let me add this to that. Okay. I, I, I see your point and, and I, I don't necessarily disagree, but it's still a young rivalry, but let's, let's, let's throw down the gauntlet now. Let's say, let's not let it become river Boca. Let's not throw things at buses. Let's not <laughs> yes. do what happened last yes. year. Let's not fight. It is a soccer match yes. and you are going to have your team that you like LAFC or the galaxy. They're both great teams. They have great players. If you're an LAFC fan, come out and watch Salatan. If you're a galaxy fan, come out and marvel at Carlos Vela and and cheer for your team and be passionate but you know i hope you're right i hope this becomes one of the greatest uh rivalries in soccer but i hope we also show some of those other leagues that you can do it without having to beat the crap out of the guy yes. sitting next to you just because he has a different color shirt on no I, I think i i i hope that it went without saying that i expect people to behave that way i know it doesn't always go that way but i mean you know that's another thing that's that's part of this that's the ugly side of this that there's no room for and there shouldn't be but uh we'll see how it all gets handled i'll tell you it's going to be not only are you going to have people who are going to have to take like a half day off from work because you're gonna have to leave at noon in order to get to this game uh in time for traffic and everything else because thursday is the it's, worst it's supposed it is, to be traffic. It is absolutely. It's going to live up to its uh, its billing here. Um, you know, Thursday night's the the worst time. Playing at 8 p.m. probably would have been better, but national TV wants it at 7.30 because you know you're not going to kick until like 7.50. Um, yeah, with ESPN, they're going to do a long pregame show. By the way, speaking of this, Larry, not on Twitter, sat yes. next to you at yes. the first game, the 2-2 draw last year at Bank of California, and told me a story, and tell me if this is right. He said that sitting in front of you, there was two couples one dressed in LAFC gear, man and a woman, and a, the other couple dressed in Galaxy gear, and they both had adult beverages with them. Yes. And they imbibed throughout the game, and they were talking and joking, and I think they hugged each other when they met before the game. And as the adult beverages and the game started to take root – they were actually punching one another, right? Strike physically striking one another by the time the game ended. No, I think they were. I think it. Whenever that eventually turned the way it did was it was the LAFC couple fighting with the LAFC couple, but between themselves and the Galaxy couple oh, fighting okay. between the Galaxy couple. So it, I don't think they actually went fisticuffs there. It was sort of. It was a weird turn of event. It was very interesting sitting there that night. I don't know how to explain it, but I would say I would say I didn't see any LA Galaxy LAFC violence, at least not that I remembered. And in fact, by whenever I left that game, I said, "Oh, everybody got along." Um, not realizing what yeah. had happened. Uh, Can't we all get along? Yes, yes, I do. I do know that LAFC for the the game that was that was there uh, this summer um, added like hundreds, uh, yeah. not dozens, but hundreds of off-duty police officers and private security people, and they surrounded the away uh, supporters yep. area on on Christmas. I think what's it called Christmas Tree Lane or whatever the grass area out front. Gotcha. Um, um, that, that I don't know. I, I'm glad they did that, but it's also sad that they have to do that. It, it is what it is, and hopefully everybody maintains their uh, their their cooler heads this time. But I can't imagine that it's going to be any less intense um, because I, I don't think it gets any less intense for this game. No, intensity is great. Yeah. I love intensity. I just don't like pounding people. Yeah, I know. I know. It's it's okay. You ran track. I understand. You know. <laughs> yeah, I'm a vegetarian and I ran track. <laughs> my, how could I be more wussy than that? All right, uh, the LA Galaxy taking off and heading on the away trip there uh, to Bank of California Stadium Thursday, October 24th, uh, a 7.30 p.m. Pacific time kickoff. Bank of California Stadium, ESPN and ESPN 
Deportes is where you can find that game. All right. Uh, is there anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? Because I think we're I think we done. I think we got everybody ready for this game. Uh, just, Did we talk about the game on Thursday? Uh, no, I'm sure we, we <laughs> left that out. Uh, quick reminder, or at least programming schedule for us here at Corner of the Galaxy. Our next podcast will be on Friday night. So uh, the day after the game, uh, win, lose, draw. Wait, you can't draw. So win or lose. Uh, win or lose, single elimination. Another thing, you know what? I did forget um, was I wanted to quickly tell everybody about yellow cards because people are asking about oh, yellow right. cards and where it goes. Uh, yes, you can be suspended from uh, from the playoffs if you get two yellow cards in two uh, games. So if you get a yellow card in the first game, like Diego Polenta, like um, like uh, Polenta, uh, Gonzalez, and Alessandrini, those are the guys who did it. Um, if, if you got a yellow card in that game and you get a yellow card in this game, you will miss the conference finals should your team advance. Uh, however, if you get by this game and then you play in the conference finals, those yellow cards do not carry over to MLS Cup. So uh, basically the yellow card accumulation is just for these first two games and if you get two yellows in these first two games then you would miss the conference finals should your team advance if you get a straight red card regardless of what game it is you're suspended for the next game so if you get one in the conference finals you get a red card you're suspended for mls cup if you get a red card in mls cup you're suspended for the first game of the season if you get two yellow cards that would also mean a red card and you would get suspended for the next game and that could carry over for um the the mls cup as well so the accumulation doesn't affect mls cup uh, but but uh, but straight reds or two yellows that equal red or that type of thing would also uh, affect MLS Cup and, and how that goes. So just to keep that's an eye a, on it. That's a very good point, and I'll tell you why. Because this game is going to be physical. Yep. LAFC did not play a game, a playoff game yet. They come in clean. They don't have to worry about they, that. They have no um, nothing to worry. They cannot be. Right. None of their players can be suspended for MLS Cup for yellow card accumulation. And the Galaxy have three. Um, yeah. uh, they're not going to be red. You know, they're not going to be sent out of this game. But they would, if the Galaxy advanced, they'd be lost. This game is going to be very physical. I think there will be a lot of cards, and if, especially early in the season, not so much lately, but very early in the season, LAFC was baiting a lot of opponents into red cards. And, and Seattle, the two players got red cards. Seattle finished the game playing with nine. I think that's maybe the first dozen games, there was about six or seven that the other team finished shorthanded because uh, LAFC had baited them into a red card. They're very good at that. Um, so th the idea of cards, it's really something to watch. I, I guess maybe I'll go out on a limb and predict it may have something to do with the outcome. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, here's the thing. If you're the Galaxy, you probably can't worry about that, right? You can't you can't sit there and say, okay, well, if we lose Diego Polenta for the conference finals, but we're at least in the conference finals, then it, it probably doesn't matter. You don't want to change the way you play as an LA Galaxy player. You just want to go out and play, and you have to deal with the consequences that come in that Western Conference final should you get past LAFC. Um, that's just something you're going to have to deal with. I don't know that you want it to affect you. Yes, it, you want it in the back of your head, but you don't want it to affect you in the way that you play. Who's uh, the referee? Do we know? I don't think it's been released yet, or if it has, I haven't seen it, so I don't know because, yet. Because, I mean, hopefully, I mean, it, at this stage in the season, obviously, they're going to have a quality ref, but the referee figures into this, too, and I'll tell you why, because MLS is telling them, or they know, look, this is a, a very emotional, very physical battle. The fans are going to be into it. Um, and that is going to affect the way the referee calls the game. Either he lets things go early right. because he doesn't want to antagonize the fans, and it becomes just a, a, a you know a, a pure brawl, or he calls it so tight because he doesn't want to inflame the fans that cards are being handed out for ticky tack things. Mm. It's going to be a fun one again Thursday, October twenty fourth, seven thirty p.m. Kickoff time. We'll see everybody there. Uh, I'm planning on being there. I will be there. I think Larry Morgan not on Twitter will be there as well, and we'll have your coverage for that game. I know Kevin's going to be there, so uh, we got you covered from all sorts of different angles. Again, next podcast coming up on Friday night. All right, Kevin, anything else? You good? 
I think that's it. All right, we're going to get out of here. If you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, let's try that again. We're going to do this. Let's be, let's be, you know, a little more, I think, emphatic as my soundboard just completely dies here. Hold on, I got this. 100%. You just hit the restart button. You do it again, and you say, if you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, what you want to do is head on over to at kbaxter11, where you can find him. Uh, of course, go to the latimes.com, where you can find all of his soccer writing covering the U.S. men's national team, the U.S. women's national team, soccer all over the world, and, of course, the uh, two teams here in Los Angeles as well. So he will be a busy guy coming up this weekend. Again, latimes.com, at kbaxter11, where you can find him. If you're looking for me on Twitter, at jgesman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N, and, of course, at Galaxy Podcast. And then uh, please head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. We'll get you previews. Uh, Larry Morgan will be out on training at Tuesday, which is media availability. So look for an article from Larry on Tuesday, and we'll get you ramped up and ready to go for the game on Thursday. All right, that does it. LA Galaxy in the conference semifinals against LAFC at Bank of California Stadium coming up on Thursday, October 24th. Uh, It's the big one. Everybody be safe, and we'll catch you next time. For Mr. Kevin Baxter, I'm Josh Kessman. Have a great one, everybody. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy from the Box podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. And for all of your independent LA Galaxy news, discussion, and entertainment, including this podcast, head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Fans, thanks for listening. We ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.